0: Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Jumpstart Your Joy. Thank you so much for listening Um, and for all of your great comments and feedback. I'm totally blown away and amazed that in this last week, my little podcast has shown up on the what's hot section of iTunes under personal journals. So thank you all so much for listening. It's because you guys tune in and have given those amazing reviews that I have the honor of being up there with some pretty, pretty cool other podcasts. Over the last week or last weekend, um, I had the Dream into Action retreat which was also just mind-blowingly awesome. Um, There were nine other presenters, and we were on air live in a webinar format. It was really cool and such great interaction, and the feedback for that has been so cool too. If you want to get on a list to learn about the next time we offer something like Dream Into Action, you could text the word READY to 66866, and you'll get enrolled on the list there for this week's episode i have the distinct pleasure of having a husband and wife team of amber and brady black on they are the power team behind the art site seriouscreatures.net brady is the draw guy as he calls himself and amber is the brains behind the business side of the business And they talk about how they brought that idea to life. They also talk about their work as the educational directors for Home of Hope in Beirut, Lebanon. And they work at a home for abandoned and abused children in Beirut. Their home accepts um, children from the state from uh, both Lebanon and other countries nearby and the work they do is just amazing I have heard from them this week and want to report that the children there and the home are all just fine even after the terrorist attack in Beirut so that uh, rest assured they are fine and um, I just hope you'll sit back and enjoy the joy that these two bring and put forth into the world and so, without further ado, I bring to you the interview with Amber and Brady Black. Welcome to the program, you two.
1: Thank you. It's Good. a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for for saying yes and and joining. I know I've already emailed and said that I'm so excited to have you guys on the podcast. I think I first found you or on Instagram, but I don't know where that lead in was. Just love the art, uh, Brady. I understand you're the art the artist. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> for sure. I'm, the, I'm the draw guy. Not me. Yeah, and Amber is the the smart one. She's the she's the business mind, and pretty much the anything that has to do with normal life and being successful that would be Amber. I just sit around and draw nonsense.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then yeah, the other really neat thing was that when I started to get to know your story better on your blog, and if listeners want to go on over to seriouscreatures.net, they can find you guys there. There's also more of a story, which is that you guys work at a home for abused and abandoned children in Beirut, Lebanon, where you are right this second. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> so it was just this really interesting kind of, I don't know, story that has an and in the middle of it. Um, what, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: There's yeah. a lot of crazy inside that and. There's a really whole honest. lot of crazy
1: inside that and and a whole lot of... <laughs> Like, are we sure this is still a good idea?
0: The answer is no.
2: We're not sure. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems like the right thing. So we're, we just, that's what we do.
0: What led you guys to where you are? And how did you guys meet each other? We're going way back. Way
2: back. Yeah. This is in
1: the 90s.
2: (laughs) We met at college, actually. I was a freshman, Brady was a sophomore, and we had a physics class together and then kind of began seeing each other around campus and found out we had mutual friends, and just kind of things went from there. We married three years later in 2000. This was a long time ago now. We've been married ever since. Yeah, I guess that's true. Congratulations. I mean, <laughs> that's what usually continuously.
1: happens. No, yeah. no, no pauses, uh, regardless <laughs> if we wanted them or not. That's how marriage is. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yes, we just celebrated our 15th uh, wedding anniversary last Congratulations. month. Congratulations.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, thanks. Thing I and so what did you guys study at college?
1: I studied everything. Um, <laughs> I, I I was a serial student for a long time, but in the end, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in uh, recreation. So very, very studious study of proper hammock swinging and good mini golf form. <laughs> um, That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It, uh, and in the end, it was actually about, recreation business, at least that's what I like to tell people so I feel better about myself, uh, and then I got my master's degree in, in linguistics.
0: Oh, fun. That's awesome. And how about you, Amber?
2: Yeah, I did um, business administration, and my focus was on human resource management and organizational behavior, um, and then I went back and took some foreign language classes, but not much. We were ended up moving overseas, and so that was better foreign language class offerings.
0: So, as children, this is usually my first question, but but now it's the second one. What are what were your early <laughs> sparks of joy?
2: Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I this is a hard one for me, but I think that some of what I how I would define joy of just having this thing that kind of makes you come alive inside was probably reading for long periods of time in the car. I remember my family took a lot of road trips on and off during my life. So it would give me time to just finish a whole book, you know, and basically it a sitting and I would just love that feeling of just being able to get lost in that and just being inside my head or whatever. And I think as I got into high school that translated into conversations and just discovering things about people and the way they saw the world and being able to learn from people and stuff. I just, I mean, I am one of those late night conversation people, you know, and I, um, I just really love that. It just connects to something inside of me that I love so much. So I feel like those were the early iterations of that kind of thing, but, um, it's kind of, I don't know, it might be some of my earlier memories of just being home inside
0: that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What um, were some of your favorite books? I
2: remember reading um, a lot of Nancy Drew mysteries. I don't read mysteries anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember um, reading a lot of those. And then when I got in high school, you know, I wasn't particularly reading for fun anymore because there were a lot of books being pushed my way. I really loved the good earth and animal farm
1: were some of the ones mm. I loved
2: from the, the years of having to having
0: to read. <laughs> yeah. I loved animal farm too.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, my earliest sparks of joy, I don't, I don't really remember like my early childhood wasn't as super fun. as with like divorces and all this kind of stuff. And I was a real anxious, little weird kid. Mm. Uh, but I do remember uh, having a pretty strong imagination you know, whenever I got in trouble or whatnot, you know, and I'd sit in the corner, you know, that was perfectly a okay with me because I would just play with like the whatever that little stucco stuff is on the on the wall, you know, like the like the textured wall. I would yeah. just make up I would make up scenes, Um, you know, with like the shapes and I would have whole stories that would go on. So while I was trying, they thought they were punishing me actually. I was just like having fun, just like staring at the wall because I could make it making stories and stuff like that. And then whenever I got older, I think I really enjoyed just. Adventure things you know climbing tall trees, going rock climbing, going surfing mountain you know like mountaineering and things like that whenever I was in high school, I really, really enjoyed that, so I think those are probably some of my earlier earliest memories of yeah feeling at home and the things that I was doing
0: yeah, that's awesome yeah there's there's a rabbit on one of our walls that I sometimes see and just think. How'd that get there? Um, you know, in the orange peel, whatever they call that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. Like it's funny because we have, because we live in the Middle East. There's a lot of carpets oh, yeah. and the the kind of like that Persian style of carpet and and so there's always all manner of faces and animals and all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff in those things. And sometimes there's scary faces. And I'm like, I really don't want to see the scary faces. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I was mean, like, before we buy a carpet, I've got to really look at it. And be like, all right, are there any bizarre scary faces that are just going to scare at me at night? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like your thinking. Um, I have a five-year-old, and it's probably something he would see and point out. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: for sure. <laughs> um, so you guys run a uh, creative online shop called Serious Creatures. So what led you guys to move to the Middle East?
1: Like, whenever I was studying uh, in my master's degree, I realized that I would like to uh, to teach English and to travel. We enjoyed both of those things and thought we would enjoy living overseas. And well, to actually make money being an English teacher, there's only a few places that you can do it. like South Korea used to be Japan, not so much now. Uh, Taiwan uh, in the Middle East. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll try the Middle East. It sounds good. So that's how we got overseas originally. You know, it was just, for me, just teaching university at, you know, various places and the the U A the United Arab Emirates the UAE like where Dubai is uh, and then Oman uh, n- near Saudi Arabia I've taught in universities out in the middle big fat middle of the desert with the Bedouin um, and then also in the the capital and so that's kind of how we originally initially got overseas.
0: Wow, that's cool. And Amber, what were you doing when you guys first got to the Middle East? <laughs> um,
2: I was being very sad. She was not. Oh, oh no. Yeah, you know, I um I love culture and languages. I um I'm happy to live overseas, and I feel like, like I'm really a learner at heart, and just take everything in. And so those elements of being anywhere else in the world have always um really resonated with me. And so on a deep level, I really love that and appreciate it. And the Gulf specifically it just seems like maybe it was this long season of one thing after another that just couldn't get going that was kind of important. And so, um, for instance, the expat community is notoriously um, fluid. So people are always coming and going or whatever. And so, um, you know, for years, we just didn't really have a strong community. And when we uh, live in the States, before we left and then um, and then even now when we go back, you know, we'd been, uh, worked at a dorm for what, like seven years where we lived on campus. We lived and worked with our staff mates and our kids or whatever. And then um, after that, we lived with families, like our friend families. Um, And so here, you know, we get out to the Middle East and there's no one to have dinner with on a regular basis. And so that was just kind of shocking. And then it just didn't change over time. And I think for me, everything that I kind of know myself to be, and we were a little older. I mean, some people are able to go overseas for the first time when they're a little bit younger, but we were like 31 or 32. You know, I mean, I just kind of know myself a little bit and all the things that I really love, there just wasn't an outlet for that. And there wasn't the opportunity to serve in any capacity in that part of the world. Most of there, there are real needs, but they're mostly kind of kept out of the public eye, especially for Westerners. And so, you know, you're not really invited to, to participate so much in something like just uh, something that could be helpful to the community. And then um, just on on personal level, it was like, I, you know, I love learning and connecting over books and stuff. And it was just hard, you know, when you're non-native English speakers or you yourself aren't fluent enough in the other language yet, it's really hard to connect on some – it just kind of seemed like at every turn I – just wasn't myself, and I wasn't really dressing how I dress, and I wasn't really doing things that I would usually do, and, you know, I'd love Mm -hmm. to cook, but anytime you're in a new environment, you're trying to figure out how to use what they have instead of what America has. So, it was really tricky, and I got really depressed for about 18 months um, when we were first over there, and didn't realize it until quite a bit later, and then from there, like, things improved, but they never really... Thriving. Yeah, they were never really thriving.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, it sounds like that's there was probably a sense of isolation, even though for sure it was a place that you were with Brady, but still kind of hard to find your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: that's exactly it.
1: Yeah, and it's also, I mean, that culture is very different, obviously, but it's very different for for women because for mm-hmm. me, there there really isn't there really isn't anything asked of me as a as a foreign man. Like I can pretty much. I can make cultural faux pas and no one's really going to care, you know, uh, but for a woman, it's a much, much bigger deal. And so there's a much, there's a higher amount of restrictions uh, and things uh, forced on them. Uh, and so that affected Amber much greater than it did me. Cause I could just go out and have tea and watch people play soccer all day. And that's no big deal. I could, you know, I could wear shorts if I wanted to. People just look at me funny, yeah. but you know, for, for a woman, you know, it's just not possible. And so mm-hmm that really helped a lot with isolation because she, you know, cause Amber really could never go out or we couldn't really have mutual friends because men and women don't mix together. And so was, oh, wow. all in all, it was just five years of, uh, like, <laughs> not awesome. yeah, five years of not awesome. Exactly, <laughs> you know? and, yeah. Uh, but we learned a lot, you know, out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and thank you. Thank you for sharing and being open about that Amber. Um, And that's, it's never easy. I I mean, just to be transparent, I, after my son was born, also ran into some depression and that kind of thing. And it's just, it's really rough because you kind of can't figure, or at least I couldn't figure out which end was up and, you know, knew I didn't, didn't feel like myself, but like, what would make it better? I didn't know. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Funny enough, what made it better was how Serious Creatures was born, actually.
2: Really? Yeah, it really is because, um yeah, yeah. Um, people, well, Brady had been drawing also because Brady had a somewhat, you know, half crazy wife. And so he was stressed and he um just continued to draw as an, kind of as an outlet and mm-hmm. all of that. And, and people had just, I mean, really it was friends, of course, at that point that were like, Hey, where can I get a print of this? Hey, are you, are you selling these? Can I get a print? And at the time the answer was no, but then I was like, well, what? Why not? I mean, you know, and I do have this business degree and I love kind of figuring things out and learning about new stuff and I was like, Well, why not? It's like we could, you know, I could find us a printer, we could we could figure it out. I mean, there's no reason to not let a person have a print of a thing that they want. (laughs) And so that kind of began, I guess, a path where we just it was always raising new questions. Like so the new Mm -hmm. questions like, Well, what happens next? What do we do next? Do we do this thing? How do we do this thing? Um, what does the online business world look like? Because we're now connecting online. These questions were, of course, coming from Facebook and stuff. So you have the social media element, which was not a thing when I went to college. (laughs) Uh, And so there's just all these new learning. We were finding that it was really good for Brady and I because he mentioned in that culture, the men did stuff with the men, the women did stuff with the women. So here was this thing that we actually could be doing together, and that was exciting to us together. Um, I think it was good for me personally, just to have a project to work on that was going in a specific direction. You know, Mm -hmm. I had been kind of trying to, as I was coming out of the dark days, one of those things, you know, was we'll do things that just make me feel like me that I would want to do. So I was writing some and I was letting myself read again a lot and all of that. But here was this thing that actually kind of had some forward momentum to it, like it could go somewhere. And it was good for me, but then it was also good for Brady and I because we had this thing that was that we could work on together, so it's kind of a shared hobby, and um, I think that was really good for our relationship in that period.
0: Yeah. And isn't that, that sounds so special, too, that it was like a reconnection for you guys or a new connection point, but also like, I don't know, with social media probably exploding around that time, another connection point for you with, I don't know, the old world or <laughs> whatever you yeah, want to call yeah, it, but that's that's right. the place yeah, that you've we had, been.
1: We had e-friends now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you.
0: Which is great. Yeah, i (laughs) have any friends. Which is
1: fun, which is really fun.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how quickly all that changed. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's a strange new world, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you found new inspiration, Amber, and that you found, you know, things that brought you joy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's hard. You guys, you were in Oman, and then you moved to Beirut?
1: We'd been there for about five years, and at some point, Amber let me know that we probably weren't going to be there for another 5 years. Uh, so the you know it just wasn't sustainable, you know, we weren't finding I mean we had given it like a legitimate shot, you know, at trying to fit in and doing these things and my job was great. I had a good job. For us we just weren't fitting in in the way that we would like to for a sustainable thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So we started just looking at other you know opportunities and what we you know what we were going to do. In the end, you know, a beautiful situation kind of unfolded where a friend of ours had a guest over that I didn't really know. They were talking about this home for abused and abandoned kids in Beirut. And one night, and we just happened to be in the room. They weren't talking to us. Mm. And whenever, you know, after they got finished talking, I started, I began conversation with that guy. We talked to like two in the morning Mm -hmm. and then three weeks later, uh, you know, we were checking it out in Beirut uh, to, you know, to check out the home. So really it was you know, just a perfect timing because we were looking to transition to something else. And then we saw this opportunity. And uh, so we, when we came to visit, you know, it was it's crazy here. So whenever we saw the home and just all the kids and, and hearing their stories, it was difficult to, you know, to even consider going back to just a, a normal university. I worked at the biggest university in the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are some really privileged kids and you know, their lives are made for me to go, well, no, I think I'm going to go back to that life and you know, Now that I know about this, you know this other life out there, I was like, I can't unknow about it now. And so now, uh, so in the end, it was it was an easy decision to say yes, but it was a very very hard decision to actually do it.
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah, you know, that that began about another about a year of because I finished out my contract and that that began a, a year of major anxiety on what on <laughs> earth are we doing? That yeah, was. I was not super fun to be around. <laughs> so One uh, thing
2: we've discovered is that um, imagination and anxiety often go hand in hand. So Brady's one of them imagination is, fun. is only equaled by his anxiety.
1: Yeah, one of them is fun, <laughs> one of them is not fun. Because all of the nonsense I can dream up, I can also be very worried it is going to come to pass.
0: Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I, I'm going to have to see if that's true in my own life. <laughs> 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 I like that insight, yeah. Well, and how amazing that there was, like, this synchronous event of, like, just the right person at the right time. Like, it just, that's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: was really, I mean, it's really fun just to think about it because, I mean, it was after, you know, I finally came to terms that, that we needed to leave, and about six months after that. You know we had this this opportunity to come get presented to us yeah so it, it's it's beautiful,
0: yeah, that's really that's cool um home of hope, who do you guys serve? I know you've said abused and abandoned children are they all lebanese or who who all comes to your doors?
2: We serve um all kinds of kids as far as we know, we're the only home in Lebanon who does that who accepts kids regardless of. Religion or um, background or papers, like the status of their papers. And so we have kids who were born in Lebanon, and so technically should be Lebanese, but for whatever reason, they won't be granted citizenship which is just kind of one of those things that countries do decide for themselves and they don't fall under Lebanon's whatever clauses to gain citizenship. Uh, We have a good number of Syrian refugees and a good number of Palestinian refugees, which is actually the makeup of Lebanon in general is its own population. And then, uh, you know, they received a huge influx of Palestinian refugees. And then now we have, I think the country's about 4 million people, but we have over a million Syrian refugees added to that. The home kind of reflects that mix in society
0: that's amazing the whole syrian refugee thing is so heartbreaking like that doesn't even begin to explain i don't think the depths of it so have you guys have you you've seen a lot more children coming from syria
1: yeah we were um the kids that we receive are from the government so meaning like they've been picked up by the police or or some sort of domestic abuse situation, and, you know, prostitution mm. rings and things like that that have been broken up. But lots, the majority of the kids who, who come to us are, you know, from a Syrian background because they've been taken off the streets and stuff. Uh, so they, they're they either living on the streets like under bridges or they are like selling or begging on, on the streets, like mm. selling chewing gum or various things like that. So it's a really, really dangerous situation for them. There's lots and lots of sexual abuse uh, that happens for boys and girls uh, on the streets. I mean, if you can imagine just sitting on in the highway in a traffic jam and then just people, you know, kids, you know, mm-hmm. eight-year-old, five-year-old kids are just walking up to your windows. Um, and so it's those kind of kids that, um, you know, that we get, prim- you know,
0: primarily. Wow. And do they, do they live at the home then as well? When yes. Yeah. They,
1: uh, they, they live at the home for anywhere between, you know, a few weeks to uh, 10 years. And and it depends on every every one of their cases is different, Uh, and if the court decides for whatever reason that they'll give them back to their parents, then we have to give them back to their parents regardless if we think their parents are good people or not. But a lot of the times, you know, the parents just abandon them or go into hiding or something because they're in jail or they're going to go to jail or all kinds of stuff. And so when they do that, they just the kids stay for much longer.
2: And the way that we found, I think, best to describe the nature of Home of Hope, we don't really have these in the States so much anymore, or I don't think, but it's almost like a very large foster home. Like, there's this process of their parents being considered unfit or abusive or neglectful, and that given by the court, like the, you know, decreed by the court that this is an unsafe situation for the child but there isn't foster homes in Lebanon yet. The fostering system doesn't exist yet. There isn't anywhere to temporarily or long-term for the kids to be. And so they come to a home like ours, and then they're with us, some for a very long time, if that's the length of time that the circumstances for them continue. We just kind of function as the home for that because there aren't individual
1: families that take in kids. So
0: Wow. Wow. And how many children are in the home? Seventy. 70. Wow. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. (laughs) How do you guys approach if uh, for the education piece? How do you approach that? Uh, Is it by, you know, in a U.S. setting, (laughs) it'd be by grades? Is it by achievement?
1: We wish. wish. That's an extremely difficult puzzle piece to to figure out and fit in. And Amber has been doing a great job because, you know, like she enjoys thinking through impossible problems and this is clearly a super impossible problem. Yeah. Uh and so we come up because our kids come to us all manner of education backgrounds. So yeah. most of them have never been to school or if they've been to school they've only been like one or two years. Uh you know, we've had seventeen year olds who don't know how to hold a pencil. You can't put them in by age. Right. Because you know, especially really sensitive Yeah, that. they're really, really sensitive to that. They don't want to be mixed by age. And so they also or have spared spare ages because you'd have a 17 year old with a kindergartner and mm-hmm. uh, so you can't really do that and you can't do it by like a normal class level because you can't assume that all 15 year olds have the same education background so they'll you know one of them can't read and one of them can read English and speak French you know and so mm-hmm. it it has to be extremely individualized which is all well and good except for we don't have the staff or the money to do it yeah, yeah. But,
2: and you have the situation you know if if we're working with the kids that we have and teaching them things and we're always getting new kids and so at any age level there's always this new this new situation and um, I'll tell you a story from yesterday that illustrates this Um I was I came in um, to the class it was an older girls class and one of our girls who's probably about 14 or 15 actually a lot of our kids they don't know how they how old they are the kid doesn't know the court doesn't know so um, they just don't have papers but I think she's about 14 or 15. And she was, we would say, you know, getting an attitude with the teacher, she wouldn't work on a thing or whatever. And the teacher was explaining to me that essentially she had reached a point, and they work on Rosetta Stone English a lot, self-paced. They don't have to get ridiculed by a teacher or or anything to – and I I say ridiculed because they feel ridiculed, not because the teachers are ridiculing, but – um they can just kind of work at their own pace and be safe and she'd gotten to a point where she needed to be providing the letters like and knowing her english letters but she didn't and so the teacher was encouraging her to go back to to learning the letters but that was making her feel really stupid because the other girls in the class knew their letters and so here she is working on her letters in front of these girls who honestly, aren't that far ahead of her in English, but they had just had the opportunity to learn the letters previously. You know, she was just feeling so down about that. But in reality, earlier that day, her family had come for a visit. And this is just usually traumatic emotionally for our kids because, you know, they're away from their families, they're getting adjusted to the home, but then their family comes back up and it's just all of these emotions. And so, I knew that she was also just on this heightened emotional state for the day, you know. I ended up, like, pulling her out of class and talking to her about it and trying to create a scenario where she was safe to learn her letters, but where she would just stick with us, you know, where she wasn't like, I'm going to quit because I'm not already smart enough. But also we're just navigating that these kids have really tough situations, just psychologically and emotionally. They're just, in the end, it's like she really does want to learn. She really did want to do it. And she just kind of needed this personal approach that just could kind of say, hey, you're, you're smart, and you can do this. And when I was learning Arabic, I didn't know the letters, you know, like this isn't, Mm -hmm. you're not stupid, you just have to start somewhere. And why don't we try this? And you let me know if it works, you know, and I think that the kids then feel like they're seen, they're seen as an individual, and they're cared for, and they need that just as much as they need to know their letters. And I think we've, we've tried to figure out how do you have a somewhat personalized approach when you have almost no teachers and an a revolving door of 70, 70 kids, kids you yeah. know. Wow. seventy
1: kids a good quarter of us aren't, don't speak Arabic to the at, <laughs> the, need to the, level. To the needs, yeah you know, like my <laughs> Arabic isn't at this heart level of like oh, let me emotionally help you through it's like no, my oh, yeah. Arabic is you know isn't that level yet, so it's it's challenging on every single turn
0: how interesting too, I wouldn't have thought i mean like if I tried to teach in French, that would be awkward and yeah, I guess that one of those things would be that it wouldn't sound heartfelt probably just cuz I'd be stumbling for words. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. There is
1: a lot of um, like, you know, you end up connecting a lot with these kids just with a lot of like you're smiling and you're mm-hmm. not yelling at them and you know, yeah. and in the end the the bar has been these kids have been through so much just nastiness that the bar's really really low. And so yeah. if you're kind to them and love them then it's, you know, they'll work with you that usually communicate. Yeah, that communicates yeah. a ton even though our, our arabic is a disaster
0: of course yeah well and how loving and beautiful that you can create a space where they start to know that they're emotionally safe and physically safe but that yeah. you guys have their back like wow thank you for doing that yeah yeah how do you guys take care of yourselves in the midst of kind of that kind of emotion and knowing the trauma that the children have been through
1: learning that part. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's a, in the end, the things that are difficult for me are the stress of help run a school Mm -hmm. that is very unique and extremely administrative heavy. Mm -hmm. I'm not that good at that. Uh, So that's really, really stressful. Additionally, I'm much more of an emotional person than Amber is. And when the kids pop off and get attitude and, you know, don't, you know, don't like the thing that we've created, I mm-hmm. feel, a lot, I feel a real burden to, you know, really try to make our stuff that as best as it possibly can, but it is the best that it possibly can. It's still just not good enough, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel just kind of a, an emotional burden from that, you know? And so for me, a lot of it is trying to figure out how to rest, you know, from the stress and, and really just trying to, you know, just speak truth and understand the situation that we are actually in, we're not going to be able to do the things that we would love to do just yet. You know, yeah. right now we're going to have, you know, and there's going to be, and what's real difficult is there kids that, that will fall through. You know, we mm-hmm. can't get it. We can't get every kid, you know, someday, hopefully we will. I mean, I, you know, there's kids who've left or for whatever reason and I'm like, I, we weren't able to help you. And then just having to go, like, want to think about them, I'll go, well, I, that motivates me to to work really hard to hopefully get the next one you know, and to be able to provide something where the next one is, 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 being cared for better.
2: Yeah. Well, I think in terms of taking care of ourselves, you know, we are still figuring it out. And I think one thing that we're sort of lucky to have, um, I think having, you know, moved to the, uh, the Gulf first and having gone through that enormous transition and in that we've just, realize that there is a period of transition. And especially if you move overseas to another culture, it takes so long to get, just to get your bearings and just to get things set up in your home. I mean, we've been here a year. We just got a single table in our house like two weeks ago. (laughs) So we've just not had a kitchen table or not whatever. And I mean, a table and for us a desk, I mean, the place to work is pretty crucial um, but so many things are happening so quickly, and you don't know where to shop. It just takes a while to get your life uh, set up, to get familiar with how things work. Like our electricity goes out uh, twice a day, and that affects so many things in, internally and then between each other. We recognize that that it just because things are away right now doesn't mean that they always have to be that way, especially if we're actively working and thinking toward mm. toward letting those things uh, find a better place a better place. So at the moment, I think we do try to get out. I mean, that's one thing for sure because, you know, we're between the apartment and the home. We're about five minutes. We, we live about five minutes away. And with so many things to do all the time and then being so tired, it's super easy to just be at the home and be at home. And so just getting out and exploring the country we live in and trying, you know, new restaurants or um, I think, reconnecting with things that don't have anything to do with serious creatures or Mm -hmm. with the home and for me a lot that's reading and learning but about things that don't have to do with business or you know educating kids just kind of stoke uh, other interests and things I think is pretty important
0: yeah well it takes a lot of courage both to you know go abroad and jumping into the situation that you guys have that's um, so admirable and so courageous like I can only imagine that it would take a while to get your bearings and have it feel, you know, like solid ground under your feet. Yeah.
1: Yeah, thanks. It, <laughs> it, it, we keep hoping that someday it will feel more solid. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's one of yeah. those things that I think is both harder and easier than you expect. Um, mm-hmm. It's harder than you expect in that coming in, you have no idea all of the little nuances of your day and you don't yet know the way that certain certain things will affect you and in terms of seeing the things that we see you know when you come in you don't have a way of internalizing that yet or a way of Mm. of looking at it or dealing with it those things will develop over time and you're not necessarily ready for that when you come at the same time there's this part where if you just look at it as showing up and then trying again tomorrow and trying again tomorrow it's really simple I mean living overseas is really tough. But you know the the actual part of just kind of saying, you know what, this is the next thing we're going to do and so we're going to go and we're going to let it unfold and we're going to take it one day at a time. And we're going to just show up again tomorrow and if I think if a person can be successful at kind of quieting all of the questions about the future and you know all of the what does it all mean? What does it mean I feel this way today? What does it mean? It's like it just means you had a hard day. Just go to sleep. You know, like, um, but there's something that I think is both harder about it than you expect, but also can be simpler about it. You know, it's I think it it sounds a lot more um, impossible than it is sometimes. So,
0: yeah, I like there's a lot of wisdom in that about kind of just taking it for what it is, but showing up again and again and again. And there's probably a repetition with the kids that they aren't maybe even used to somebody showing up again and again and again. So
1: that's for sure. That's true. I'm
0: sure that's beautiful for them. And
1: yesterday was a really, really hard day. Mm. uh, (laughs) We call them home of hope days. Uh, Some days days are just very home. uh, Yesterday was one of them. Mm. And so everybody's having a difficult day and is frustrated. And at the end of the day, this one kid who, pretty rascally he's got a real he's always has a lot of Is a very uh frequently disrespectful attitude which is pretty common and it, but he's really really smart and so this is why he gets in trouble a lot and, well I don't know what I was doing I was just playing with these kids these kids I, I, I brought a bunch of them upstairs and I just had a period of activity just like you know we're just going to play and uh and at the end he left he left and he just turned to me and he goes Mr. Brady I say yeah he goes I like you <laughs> and I was like Thanks, man. I mean, that was it. So you know? oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and so I was like, ah, thanks. You know, and I was like, well, and, and I think that's the thing that to answer your question of how we emotionally get through is just this yeah. idea that really all that when I was mean, never saying the simplicity of it, like really all that we're asked is to is to show up and love these kids, mm. you know, and. We don't have a rock star education program yet. We don't have the funding that we need. We don't have all this kind of stuff. But we can show up and love these kids, and they they seem to be able to get that. And at that very base level, it's like, you know, if we showed up, then we had a successful day.
0: That's gorgeous. I'll just let that sit. There's nothing else to add. <laughs> One question. Is there a way that if listeners wanted to help, is there a way to get involved and help at Home of Hope? How could someone do that?
2: So if you go to the Facebook page, and it's just, facebook.com/homeofhopelebanon there's a newsletter subscribe um, from there and it comes out once a month but it's we're able to share like something that's going on with one of our kids stuff that's going on at the home and specifically our needs so like at christmas time we'll have a wish list and we do that actually in the spring as well Most of the stuff that we use in the school, um, if we can't get it in Lebanon, which is a lot of stuff, we have to bring it back from the States. Doing that kind of a thing, things that we need or um, financial donations are really the biggest way to help. Unless you want to come out and spend four months and like be an intern, which is a very real possibility. Being hands-on or um, sending, and use usually money, but um, for specific needs really is the most helpful way to get involved i think a lot of times people want to get involved by sending like clothes or sending you know these different things but that becomes really tricky because of customs and there's a lot of corruption in receiving receiving things and stuff and so i think those those two ways are are really ways to get involved but we do try both in the newsletter and on the um the facebook page to to be posting pictures when we can we can't show the kids faces uh usually but nevertheless it's like well we want to see that you know you're helping them go to camp and you're helping them like have this fun experience or learn these things or you know here's kind of what we're doing and so I think that's a way to stay connected and then from staying connected you know if something resonates with you uh one of the initiatives or the programs or something like that then there's always opportunities to give or get involved and certainly come visit if you want that's <laughs> always always there
0: that's awesome. Thank you. And I'll link that up for everybody um, to go over to Facebook. And, and thank you. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, about that. Of course. Of course. So, if we move on to series, Creatures, how did how did that start? I, I know you guys talked a little bit about that kind of earlier, but where did it start and, and where did the name come from?
2: Yeah. So, we, you know, we started working on this during uh, that difficult time. It, you know, at first it was just Brady had been drawing whatever was in his head and people were asking to buy it, so we first figured that out. You know, like to have a fine art print of a thing. What what is that? And there's a surprising amount to learn. I'm sure you've experienced this, like beginning to podcast and to blog <laughs> and to have a website. There's just so many things. You're like, There are so many things. <laughs> there are. Um And so it kind of started there. And then um, at some point, one of our friends had asked, you know, she said, here's the thing. I love writing these note cards for my kids to put in their lunchboxes. But they're always making fun of the drawings that I draw because I can't draw. She's like, I don't know if you ever have room for this. But if you ever could just draw, like, you know, a little lunchbox card with, uh, like, a little drawing on it where I could write them a note, you know, on the side – they would just love that. I would love that. That's the thing I need. And we were like, oh yeah, this makes so much sense because so many, you know, moms want to do stuff like that and want those things to be, you know, like maybe more whimsical or more in a, like a classic illustration style. And, and uh, we were like, that could just be fun. And, you know, for a mom who wants to be able to do that, then she can do it easily. So Brady began drawing at that point, series of images that would kind of go together uh, in one way or another um, to be used essentially as lunchbox notes, but uh, we made them in such a way that they can be used as gift tags or, you know, you can put them on that plate of cookies that you're taking to a neighbor or whatever. So then he started drawing this set. So there was ballet and there was Christmas, and um, and that was just really fun for him. I think a surprising thing about Brady that I would never be able to communicate fully is the the multitude, I mean, just the infinity of... Ideas and imaginative directions that his mind would take, and so it kind of seemed like the more he was doing those, the more that he would just have all these crazy ideas. And so, um, those series are actually some of his favorite, even though they take a long time to do uh, because they kind of give him this playground in which to create a little bundle of kooky. We wanted the imagination and the whimsy to play a big role, and even relationships as well. We love the idea of lunchbox cards because you know here's these uh, whimsical drawings. Um, And a lot of times when kids see them, they would want to mimic that. They'd want to draw their own Mm -hmm. whimsical drawings. But it also helps a parent connect with their kid or a friend connect with a friend. or just It just brings fun and friendship. And so we really love that. Um, But it's only been recently that we've been able to really um, move in the imagination direction because we're like, that's really what is so unique, I think, about Brady's point of view is just the imaginative elements. And Mm -hmm. um, as far as the name, (laughs) we... Uh, okay, so Brady and I have been married for 15 years, and somewhere early on, you know, we, had, we were trying to find a, a domain name or something for a website just where we could keep up with family, like like a family blog. And uh, we, you know, basic things are kind of taken, but we had been reading Harry Potter along that same time. We used to read it out loud in the car on these road trips and stuff, and um, there is the ancient and most noble House of Black And, you know, our, our last name is black. And so we just kind of like house of black. So it's kind of stuck. It's kind of our little family phrase of sorts to be the house of black. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm not, so I'm I don't have any idea how familiar you are with Harry Potter. So this is a little bit of fandom going, but, um, so that, you know, that just kind of became the house of black. And then we, there was always these jokes about it and whatever um, well, a lo- around the time that we were trying to, n- to name what would become serious creatures, you know, we're like, well, we knew that Brady was going to be drawing, um, ju- like animals and creatures and stuff like that. There's so much you can do with them. It's just really, really fun. And we were kind of clear that that was a direction that he was going to take. And, um, we do have a, you know, a like for that, um, little tongue in cheek of, you know, like <laughs> using serious and that way works, um, but really, it's they're both from the House of Black. You have Sirius Black, and you have Creature, which is his house elf,
0: uh-huh. and um,
2: and so there was kind of this double this double thing where we're like, both of these uh, characters are from the House of Black, and they just work like uh, they fit with our idea for our company. You know, it's like these creatures aren't serious at all. Like that in itself yeah. is just kind of its own joke, and so. Um, it just, when, when it kind of came together, we were like, we actually don't really have any idea if this is a great business name. And, you know, we've trademarked our business name. So it's, you know, you do find out like what else is out there or whatever. And it's just kind of, it's these two, you know, just universal words. They're not really special kinds of words, the two of them, but it just fits so well with the company and with our own little family jokes that we had to, <laughs> we just had to go with it.
0: I love it. Yeah. That's very creative. And I, I- there's something about it being that it, there's a Harry Potter tie-in that makes it even, I don't know, more, I don't know, endearing and funny, like, in the same moment.
1: <laughs> You're the first person who's ever asked us about it. And so really? Yeah, this is our coming out, out. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully we're not going to get, you know, in trouble for it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. We don't spell creature with a K. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, and the, yeah, and we spell serious. serious. Yeah. Yeah. But that is the, are all you know, great. the serious black. Creature who works for the House of Black, and then yeah. us, we are the House of Black.
0: So. That is awesome. I love it. I love that there's a whole story behind it. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the thing that I used your little mini cards for, and this was back when you guys had them as printables, was I used them on our, our wedding.
1: Um, oh, that's our, right. I remember Our that. wedding paper
0: bags. Yeah. And all the little kids, we had a pack of kids there. Um, and there were like seven little kids under seven. And they all just were so delighted. And which one did you get? And oh, my gosh. There's a poodle, you know. So. <laughs> that's so fun. That's yeah, the sort I'll, of stuff yeah, I love we love to hear. That. That's so yeah. great. So, yeah, that was, that was very fun. And the whale was also very big. Yeah. Well, no pun intended there. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think
1: for us, that's one of the – I mean, strangely enough, I've been making all of this since I've been overseas. And so I don't actually ever get to see anybody – interact or see my stuff it's all just via online <laughs> and in uh, last spring was the i think really the first time that I'd ever shown at a big show so we show we, we had a big show um, like a big craft show and it was seeing people's faces was just i mean it, it just blew me away because our our life is full of a lot of pain and suffering -hmm. And and just we have a very very real understanding of pain and suffering in the world, and then to see people be happy or whatnot with the stuff that we had made, I mean, it's like I mean it brought tears to my eyes almost all day. I was like, oh my gosh, there's people and, and they like it, and somehow we were able to like bring a small smile to a small time for to a kid, and it was just so it was so amazing to me, you know, because. You know, our our days are filled with things that there's just a lot to not be smiling about, you know, and to be able to provide a small smile is, is just such a, so fun. And so to even hear that kids enjoy enjoyed it at your wedding, it's like, ah, yes, this is exactly like, that's so perfect. It's, it's such a, it's such a delight to hear.
0: Yeah, yeah, good, cool. Well, and we have a family joke about a pink poodle. I don't even really understand where it all came from, but like, I don't know, my sister calls her dog a poodle. He's not a poodle, but. I mean, so then so awesome. her. Oh, and you guys just did a Kickstarter i we it, it, yeah. go live, but it'll be a little while back. but what was the inspiration about for or what was the inspiration for your book? Well, I think
1: for me, we don't have any kids of our own, and so a lot of times we borrow people's kids to play with, um you know, and so, like our friends we hanging out with our, our friends' kids, I just started I would just draw with them, and basically, we would play imagination. It wasn't like. I'm going to give you an art lesson. It's just like let's just think of the craziest thing we can think of, and our and I just had so much fun with it. And it turns out the kids enjoyed it too because we would hear from their parents like, you know, that they really enjoy just drawing with me. And it was just it was just us together, and us just coming up with whimsical stories and just drawing nonsense together. And and so at one point Amber asked, "How can we try to uh, uh, bottle that up, or how can we?" help parents do that who don't naturally do that. And so that's kind of the inspiration for our book was to try to help parents uh, interact with their kids in this kind of whimsical way to really just turn up the imagination because we really believe in imagination uh, more so even than art. Uh, cause, I mean, I love art, but I really believe that imagination can change some things and, you know, with, with whatever field you go into and, you know, just try to give kids permission to, to draw helicopter shoes and to draw astronauts on fruit and whatever you know mm-hmm. we can come up with and just to give them a little push to say hey it's okay go crazy and and I think we I think parents enjoy seeing their kids do that and being able to interact with that and uh, so that was really our our inspiration was to try to take these little drawing sessions that I had with kids and figure out how to help parents do that
0: so awesome yes i cannot wait to get a copy or three <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That'll be a delight. Um, yeah. Well, and it's so cool too that you, I don't know, that was that was one of the questions that I sent over, but that you kind of, you've already addressed it, but that you're living in this, I don't know, in, in the midst of a lot of upheaval with the kids that you guys interact with. But then, I don't know, it's also this really interesting juxtaposition of of sending out all this joy into the world, both with them and meeting the kids you get to help at at the home but also through this book and everything else like all this joy coming out um to kids across the world like it's just really cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah.
2: It's a it's really fun and it's fun to do and it's a good balance. It's been a lot of work for sure, which I mean anything you undertake like that's going to be a lot of work, but it really is a good um it's a it's a, it is a juxtaposition and it's also these um these two sides. So like you can have a really heavy day and then, you know, you come home and you're using the craziest phrases around the house. Like, I don't know. I just think the cat needs a little bit more bubbles or like, you know, <laughs> you're just saying these things that are like, um, you know, how can he be more, you know, floaty or something. <laughs> and you're saying these things with like animal words and then like, you know, it just sounds like crazy talk. And so you catch yourself just saying things that are normal around our house, but shouldn't be like taped out of the context. would be really funny. And, um, and so it's just fun. I think it brings a lightheartedness. Um, and so even though we're doing it as work, because it ends up being a priority, it ends up happening, you know, where we just have something that's more light-hearted or more fun. Um, and so it's a not even though it is a lot to juggle, um, I think we sort of need it, you know, yeah. like we just need yeah. to be. Uh, taken from one to the other, like taken from our, from my like business mindedness to, to give something to the world and also taken from that, uh, really emotionally heavy place and come back to some lightheartedness. So I think they both really help the other.
0: So where will serious creatures be heading next?
1: Well, hopefully the the book, the imagination book, uh, that we, uh, that we created, um, it's called serious starters. And hopefully that will, uh, I mean, the Kickstarter has succeeded already, which is fantastic. And so hopefully we will be able to make more of those. Uh, Also, there's a few people that we're working with to try to work on some children's books. So probably in a books direction, uh, in addition to keeping up like the the cards and uh, making new lines of those as well. And hopefully we just started doing some kind of art tutorials and kind of a video series. Mm. Uh, And so hopefully, you know, in a video direction as well, but you know, all with the mindset of trying to help parents help their kids imagine and you know, draw simple things. Because our, our tutorials are, are really aimed at kids, and so they're real simple drawings. Or we try to make them simple, and mm-hmm. you know, try to give some kids some some handholds on how to go forward with things they want to draw. Because the kids aren't dumb; they know what they're drawing. They know what they want to draw. They just it's not coming out right, and so they mm-hmm. get frustrated with it. And so, trying to give them small little handholds to make their drawings a little bit cooler to help them hopefully get to the next step. And, and in a classic way, we're, they're kind of nutty videos, hopefully. so
0: <laughs> But I will link them up. I saw them on your blog too. That's really exciting. Yeah. Growing up, my dad would draw birds with us and um, the birds often had wheel feet. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally not. To yeah. I'll steal that. <laughs> yeah, wheel feet are good. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me and thank you for everything you guys do. Like, It's so totally inspiring to see that you throw yourself wholeheartedly in a couple of really amazing directions. So, thank you.
2: Thanks. It's our pleasure.
0: So, if someone listening has a big dream about how they could make a change in the world, what advice would you give them about bringing their dream into action?
2: I have to say, just start moving in that direction. Just start showing up. Start taking action. I am, just by nature, a like everything can exist inside my head and it was very hard for me to like take a step. I think there's so much, yeah. You know, there's fear, they'll say a fear of success and fear of failure. And also some things just seem so huge, you know? <laughs> um, but if you take the next step, that next step will usually lead you to the next one and to the next one. And things just begin to unfold. And largely that's because when you take that first um, step of action, uh, or we, one thing I'm so thankful for to the writer Donald Miller about is he talks about inciting incidences. And Brady and I talk about that a lot, um, inciting incidents, which is usually just a thing in a story that makes action happen. And so, you know, you commit to go to a conference maybe or you um, say – you just commit to something basically and then you have to show up, you know. Mm. So um, you start showing up and usually what you learn at that juncture gives you more information and gives more of an opportunity for something – to resonate with you or you meet a person who can help you get to that next step and you just follow that next thing. And I think a lot of times it's easy to get paralyzed by not knowing, not know, so many things that we don't know and uh, but in reality if you take the step and then the next step, it's becoming familiar in each one of those steps. Take action, you know, instead of just thinking about how you want it to be different. And if it doesn't work out like you think, it's totally fine. Like there's just really no harm in that. You you learn some things about Yourself and what you do and don't want.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, action and doing a thing as opposed to just you mm-hmm. know tweeting about it or <laughs> making Facebook things or you know thinking about yeah it. thinking about it or you know I frequently use the phrase is like it takes no courage to criticize you mm-hmm. know and it, and things at the home frequently are criticized because it's not it's not Disneyland you know <laughs> and and so I'm like like you are welcome to criticize if you also are going to show up and help me fix it. Mm. And I'm not actually interested in any of your suggestions until you are also willing to come here and help me do this suggestion, you know? And so it's just yeah. this action, you know, cause like sit armchair criticizing or armchair, you know, pontificating, like I've got no great respect for it. Uh, I want to see action, uh, in additional. So that's kind of piggybacking off Amber. And for me, I think, but being okay with failing and, and and, and picking something to do that's that's worth failing at. I think that's one of the things that even just last night, as we had a difficult day, uh, talking with our housemate, and, you know, we're just kind of reflecting on this day. And we thought, it's like, well, you know what? This is a good fight. You know, this is not anything worth doing. You know, these are cliched parent things. Like, anything worth doing is going to be difficult, right? You know, if this was easy, why would we be doing it? Um, you know, so like these are very, very real problems. The world is really is messed up. And this isn't going to be easy, but this is a good fight. You know, this is worth failing at. This is worth being embarrassed and, you know, for or worth being humiliated, you know, because things don't don't work right. And uh, and so I think that that just really grabbing hold of that idea is like find something that's worth failing at and and go give it a shot. And if it fails, that's okay because that was a good fight. Like, I'd rather fail at trying what we're doing than fail at, you know, something that is is much is is lesser.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) I love both of those like both the I'm also a project manager that's the the other day job but yeah like the project manager in me loves the you know putting yourself and getting in action and all that and then yeah the kind of I don't know the spiritual motivational side of me loves the. it takes courage to criticize and pick something worth failing at so yes those are both great thank you so much and then last and most joyfully what are three ways You can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives. I
1: think for me, uh, really, the I mean, when I think of joy, I don't really think of it as you know like confetti and glitter everywhere. I really Mm -hmm. think of it as just a a real like just sound, just deep like joy, Um, and it for and it's for us. uh, It would be much more of a spiritual level of that, Um, and. I think that for me, it, it's it's serving others uh, and really pouring your life out for for others. I think that there's there's no greater joy in that, and it seems crazy because it seems like the joyful thing would be, or the thing to make you happier would be just to to go do the thing that makes you happy. Well, mm-hmm. in the end, that will be happy. But I, even for me, like if I just had the opportunity to just to draw all day, which I mean that would be easy, mm-hmm. um, and, and and I would probably really enjoy it, but I I would, I would give, I would give drawing up in a second. I would give it up tomorrow. No problem because of just serving these kids. And I mean, it is crazy here. I mean, it's so difficult, but I you know, you're going to have to pry me from this. Um, and, and I think that just that, that serving of others and pouring yourself out, I think is for me, you know, there's, there's no greater joy in that.
2: Yeah. And I think my thoughts on that really are just an elaboration of what Brady said. Um, but I think that um, find uh, to find something that you love that really resonates with you, and I don't mean something that you like. Like I, I can sometimes be like, oh, I you know I like action movies or something, or um, I like to go to the gym, and um, yeah, there's all of those like things. But there's usually things I think in us that we're just kind of wired for, we're made for, and um, when we begin. Doing things along those lines, then um, it just really resonates. There's that thing that's happening on the outside, the thing that's happening on the inside, and it really resonates. And I think finding what that is like is it, you know, is it learning? Is it, you know, cooking? Um, but I think finding that thing that really resonates, and then figuring out how to serve with that, figuring out how to use that thing to um, to love others and to to serve them. And I think, you know, with Brady, it's like his, um, the imaginative elements and his brain are just always there. It's this core part of who he is that he won't be able to Mm -hmm. escape. And when he can just be alive and um, creating in that place, it's so native to who he is. And so finding a way to share that with others that also brings them joy is this connection. It's like, it's joyful for him. And then there's this just joyful for others. And then there's a connection between those two. And Mm -hmm. there's just something that's so fiery and electric about that when you can find it. So I think finding that thing, serving it and then serving others with that um, is really um, moving on that, on that path toward, uh, toward joy, I think. And then the other thing I've been thinking and just really learning a lot about lately actually is, can this is more like bringing joy to the world and it is actually hard. And I don't know that it initially brings so much joy to the person who's attempting it, but but it's to really figure out a way to make it um, a discipline or a mindful thing to see each person that you see as a human, as a fellow human. Mm. Um, I think after being with our kids for a while, and then, you know, so the kids who come to our home are essentially the same kids who we see out on the street. And when you see them out on the street, they're like, they're nagging you, and they're pulling at you, and they're following you, and, you know, you – whatever it is that you're going to do, you can't escape that. Like whether you're going to give something to them or whether you're not, like it's still this just ever, um, this thing. And so it's kind of a nuisance, like in an everyday sort of a way, it's kind of a nuisance or you don't know how to feel about it. So it's uncomfortable. Like there's just so much discomfort in in that person who's different or whatever. And I think that um, having the kids at the home has allowed me uh, just to do a lot of reflecting on the fact that I don't necessarily See people in public all the time, the way that they really are inside, like in their heart, you know, mm-hmm. like they're a human. And so um I think responding to them with humanly kindness, which um a lot of times to me is just to look them in the eye instead of totally avoiding them. Or, you know, if it's appropriate, like with a kid, it's like, I'll, you know, I'll just pat them on the shoulder too. It's like, you're not you know, you're, you're not diseased. Like I can't touch you, you know, and even if you were, maybe I should really consider that you also need human care, you know? And I think um, that, that people know when they've been forgotten or when they've been seen and, um, and that I want to be, this is, this is really hard for me. And I'm not good at this yet, but I do think that it brings better things into the world, you know, but to, um, to just recognize that a person you see that's so different or whatever, it's like, it doesn't matter whether they brought it to some extent people say like, well, they brought it upon themselves or whatever. It's like, well, you don't know that for one, but even if they did, it's like, man, if I was living in the reality of all the things I should have brought on myself, like that would be really bad, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and just kind of going like, so what? Like, it's a, like they're hurting, you're hurting. Like they, you know, could use kindness. You can use kindness. And, mm-hmm. um and just seeing them as a human, I think is a, is a thing. Um, but it's so uncomfortable. It really is mm-hmm. uncomfortable is the best word I can, I can use, I think. So, um, but I do think that that begins to bring a lightness, um, into the world. And then there's a really great feeling. I think I'm, I'm finding associated with that where there's this scary thing or it feels uncomfortable because it's not my everyday habit. I, I, I'm sure some of your listeners have this as an everyday habit, but, um, I am not <laughs> that far along in in things. Um, But there really is a a joy in it of realizing like, you know, I could have, I could have ignored this human and instead it's like, I got to smile at them or um, I got to buy them a sandwich or I got to, and there's a real, I think, sense of satisfaction of not turning away from that. That's really um, lightening. Uh, So I would add that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And I think there's something in there around seeing the spark of divinity in each person, if If you're a spiritual person, but like recognizing that we all come from the same place, whatever that source is and and being able to find that in each person is, yeah, I think that's, it's hard and it is joyful if it can become a practice. I really like that. Thank you. Well, you guys, this has been amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks. (laughs) It's been so fun. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and um, and just all so many great answers and thank you so much. Um, best wishes with everything that you're doing. And thanks.
2: Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks, you guys, so much for that amazing interview. I am just inspired and blown away by your dedication to children all over the world. So thank you. Um, if you guys want to help, uh, I will have the links on how to get in touch with Amber and Brady and, um, support Home of Hope in, uh, the show notes, which can be found over at jumpstartyourjoy.com, um, and go over and, and help support them. And, uh, Amber and Brady also let me know that they have an annual sale on their Christmas greeting cards, well, all their cards Uh, usually comes up after Thanksgiving and so I'll link that up in my show notes as well Uh, for next week I am going to be doing my first solo show I cannot believe that you guys have been listening for 11 weeks and I figured it was about time to talk a little bit more about the person the woman behind the mic so I'm going to be talking about self-acceptance transformation and joy Um, in part to support the weeks of self that is going on right now uh, where there's a number of bloggers and coaches that are all jumping on together to talk about the aspects of oneself and I am self-acceptance. That's my topic. If you want to learn more about that, you can jump over to my Facebook page. I'm under... um, The name there is Welcoming Spirit, which is also my blog name. Thank you so much for listening and... And until next week, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.